Coming to you from the tailgating capital of America, where the beer flows like water and the brats fly like birds. Bringing you all things brewers, all things Wisconsin, and all things sports. This is the Ghost of Tony Plush. Good morning, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. We got our cheese curds and we got our beer bellies. Hang on, let me flop it out for you. There it is. It's Cheese Curds and Beer Bellies. I'm your host, the ghost of Tony Plush. We're back for episode number five. We're very happy to continue to grow this following. Shout out to everyone who has subscribed in the past couple of days. We're really starting to grow this thing. We're starting to grow something special. And uh, we're about to talk about how broken the Milwaukee Bucks are, but I have to warn our audience, we are currently watching the game live. So the Bucks are playing the Portland Trailblazers. They're taking care of business. It looks like they're going to win. And we're going to knock down wood. It looks like they're going to cover the nine and a half. So after two terrible performances against the New Orleans Pelicans and the Charlotte Hornets, it looks like the Bucs may be back. This is the roller coaster that is cheese curds and beer bellies. One day, I'm proclaiming that Wisconsin basketball is going to win the national title, and the next day they lose to Penn State. One day I talk about how great Giannis and the Bucs are, and, and the next thing you know they lose to the Pelicans. And the Charlotte Hornets. I have to give credit to Tom Winsky, by the way, for the Pelicans reference. The Pelicans are terrible. How do you lose to the Pelicans? Tubby Zion, Zion Williamson looks like he spent more time in the Big Mac line than he has in the gym. And I get it. He's a budding superstar. But there's no way that Zion Williamson, with that body, should be able to go off like he did against the Milwaukee Bucks. Brooke Lopez had a good five inches on that guy, and Zion Williamson absolutely bullied Brooke Lopez in the paint all day long. And and Steven Adams, quite frankly, bullied him on the boards as well. He had 20 rebounds in that game against the Pelicans. 20 rebounds for Steven Adams and another nine for Zion Williamson. Ten of Steven Adams' rebounds were offensive rebounds. So Brooke Lopez needs to figure it out down low. And we're going to talk about just how broken the Milwaukee Bucks are, and I'm going to get to Brooke Lopez in a minute. But there is no excuse for that. If you are a championship basketball club, you cannot lose to the lowly New Orleans Pelicans, and you cannot lose to the Charlotte Hornets. The good teams in this league take care of business. That's what they do. And there's some good players out there on each team. These teams are no scrubs. But you cannot lose to New Orleans and Charlotte if you are legitimate about being a championship contender. And we're going to welcome two guests onto the show in a little bit to talk about just how legit or not legit the Milwaukee Bucks are. But I'd like to start out this episode by diving into some of the issues that the Milwaukee Bucks are having. And to me, it starts at the three-point line. It starts at the three-point line, and it starts with Coach Mike Bootenholzer. We've seen now that this defense does not work. It does not work, and it does not translate to the postseason. We saw it last year against Miami. Their best player was Jimmy Butler who was like the sixth best player on the roster at Marquette when he played there. And Marquette, as we now know, is a terrible basketball program. That basketball program is dead. They lost to DePaul the other day, and until you can beat DePaul, I know we have a lot of Marquette fans that subscribe to the show, until you can beat DePaul, you are not allowed to be talked about on Cheese Curds and Beer Bellies. We are about greatness on this show. We will talk about greatness and greatness only, and until Marquette can beat The bottom of the barrel teams in the Big East, they're irrelevant to me. It seems like every time I do a show, I somehow get off on a tangent about how bad Marquette basketball is. But I digress. Jimmy Butler, not even one of the best players on his Marquette team. Maybe that's an exaggeration. He wasn't the best player on his Marquette team. 
and that guy torches you in the Eastern Conference semis, you have a Division three basketball player. I get it. He went on to play at Michigan. But absolutely making three-pointers like it's layups. Like they're layups. And you, can, you don't make one adjustment in that series. You have an entire offseason to think about how Goran Dragic and all these guys went off from the three-point line and sent you home from the bubble early. You had all this time in the offseason to think about that. And you don't change one damn thing to your defensive strategy. What is that? What is that? Now, the organization placed faith in Bud and said, we believe in him, and blah, 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 blah. And a lot of people were calling for his head, including myself, after that Miami series. But the goal was to bring Giannis Antetokounmpo back. And Giannis is loyal to his coaches to a fault. And he said, I like Coach Bud. I want to play for Coach Bud. So they bring Boonholzer back, and he fails to make a single adjustment. In the Pelicans game, they shot 44% from three, made 21 three-pointers, and attempted 48 of them. They attempted 48 free throws, more than half, excuse me, exactly half of their field goal attempts were three-pointers. That is today's NBA. That's what the league is today. Three-pointers are like layups. Ever since Steph Curry came into the league, the three-pointer has become the NBA. Steph Curry transcended the National Basketball Association. Steph Curry killed the big man. There is no more back-to-the-basket play. That is dead. Now, when Mike Boonholzer was rising through the coaching ranks with Greg Popovich in San Antonio, the NBA was different. Steph Curry was on like three recruiting boards. One of them was Wisconsin-Platteville, and the other one was Davidson University. And he went to Davidson, and he beat the Wisconsin Badgers, to go to the Elite Eight, heartbreaking loss. I can't believe I brought that up. And they went to Golden State and completely changed the NBA. And since then, some teams have adjusted. Some teams have figured it out. we got to guard the three-point line. The last time I checked, and we're not big math guys here on this show, but three points are worth more than two points. I don't know if that's still a thing, but when I was in elementary school, I learned that three was greater than two. And all these analytics people in the NBA have seemed to figure that out. You don't need a master's degree to know that three points are worth more to your team than two points. Yet the Bucs can't figure that out. Mike Boonholzer can't figure that out. So after giving up 44% from the three-point arc to the Pelicans, and by the way, seven of those three-pointers came from Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe should never shoot 50% from three on 14 attempts. I watched that clown in a Milwaukee Bucks uniform throw up brick after brick after brick in a Milwaukee uniform. And he sure thought he was good. He gave himself the green light at any point in time while in Milwaukee. And he sure had the green light against the Bucks wearing the Pelicans uniform. 7 of 14 from 3 for Eric Bledsoe. Lonzo Ball. When he came into the league, the only thing people could talk about was how broke his jump shot was. Lonzo Ball shoots 7 of 13 from 3. 14 three-pointers between Lonzo Ball and Eric freaking Bledsoe. That's inexcusable. That tells me that the guys were wide open. I don't need advanced analytics. I don't need some guy with a Harvard Law degree to tell me that the Bucks played shitty three-point defense. I can take one look at the box score and see those two guys combining for 13 threes 
and know that we played like horseshit from beyond the arc. So it's one game. We think things will get better. We've got the Hornets coming into town. Excuse me. We're getting on a plane and we're going to Charlotte. And nothing changes. It's like we just continue. We know what the outcome's going to be, but we just continue to employ this defense and hope for the best. We just hope for the best. That's our defensive plan. Just hang out, pack the paint, cross our hands, say a Holy Mary, and count your rosemaries, and just pray for the best. It doesn't work in today's NBA. Gordon Hayward, five threes. Really, really balanced three-point production. In fact, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine Hornets made a three-pointer. Nine of the 11 Hornets that played in that game made a three-pointer. 21 of 44 on the, on the game, they shot 48%. 48% from three. That is not luck. That is poor coaching. That is a tactical error, a clear tactical error, and shit needs to get fixed if the Milwaukee Bucks are serious about winning an, winning an NBA championship. That's unacceptable, and that's not luck. I saw some tweets from Nathan Mrazion and others on Twitter saying, talking about how the Bucks opponents have just been really lucky. They're shooting 3% better. Or the tweet was they're averaging three more open threes per game than their opponents. So somehow they think that that's luck. Three open threes. Bucks opponents are getting, on average, three more wide-open looks from the three-point arc than any other team in the league. Excuse me, than the average team in the league. That's nine points a game right there. Open three-pointers are like layups. This is not the 1990s. Tim Duncan is not suiting up and manning the paint for the San Antonio Spurs. This is a different league. This is a very different league. And if Coach Mike Boonholzer cannot make that adjustment, the Bucks will be go the Bucks will be going home again, and they'll be lucky to make the conference semis. They'll be lucky to make it to the conference semifinals with this current defensive strategy. Because guess what? The jury's out. Teams are coming into games with exuberant confidence because they know they're going to get wide open looks from three. You know what? I want to send Brad Davison, whose three point shot is completely broken for the Wisconsin Badgers. I want him to suit up in practice one time against the Milwaukee Bucks because I can guarantee you he'll have his confidence back. I guarantee you Brad Davison will get his confidence back if he has one practice against the Milwaukee Bucks because that's what they do. You walk into the gym, you see the Bucks uniform, and you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to fix all my shooting woes tonight. I'm going to have wide open looks. This is target practice. And in today's NBA – Wide open three-pointers are like layups. So the Bucks, in my eyes, are starting every game in a nine-point hole. You're giving up three more wide open threes than the average team. You're starting in a nine-point hole. Just start with the scoreboard at 9 nothing. If you're going to leave that many guys wide open from three, we may as well start the game down nine. That, that's the reality of it, and I'm not exaggerating. That's what the stats are telling me. You could say, well, only three threes, only three. Only... Three threes is a lot of points. It's nine free points. Figure it out. All right, there's a number of things I want to get into on ways to, excuse me, what's wrong with the Milwaukee Bucks and potential ways to fix the Milwaukee Bucks. And we've already touched on the first reason. And it's the most obvious reason if you've watched the Milwaukee Bucks play, and it's the three-point defense. 
I think I've harped on that enough, but if that doesn't change, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to be in some serious trouble. Just look at any box score and you'll see what I'm talking about. That's point number one. I've got four points right here on what's wrong with the Milwaukee Bucks. Point number two is the lack of bench production. So you want to talk about all the picks that we gave up to get Drew Holiday. And Drew Holiday is great. I'm a huge Drew Holiday fan. I think I'm a huge Drew Holiday fan because it means I don't have to watch Eric Bledsoe put the uniform on again. I think that's the only reason I really like him. But he's played pretty well. Talk about the draft picks all you want, but let's talk about the players that we let walk or that we traded away that were crucial bench players for us last year. George Hill and others. I mean, look at this current bench. After that fire sale that was, you know, after the Drew Holiday and everybody's getting axed, the first signing, and people were somehow excited about this, was like Tory Craig. And we were somehow excited about, about Tory Craig, who's not even averaging a point a game off the bench. Um, and you just start to fill in the pieces, and there's not enough money, and there's not enough roster spots, and you name it. But the bench became a huge concern. Bryn Forbes was the next big signing. We signed him out of San Antonio. And Bryn Forbes has been, in my opinion, underwhelming. Now, he's shot 44% from three. We'll give him that. But he's averaging 7.8 points a game, and he's played some pretty lackluster defense. George Hill had clamps on defense. We all talk about his three-point shooting ability, but he was a clamp lockdown defender. Bryn Forbes is not that. Then we signed Bobby Portis. And Bobby Portis, to his credit, has been our sixth man of the year. And he's been really damn good. And he's outplayed Brooke Lopez at times. He's averaging 11.2 points off the bench for the Bucs. He's having a great season. He had a really, he's having a really good game tonight against Portland. I think he's got 21 right now and counting. We like Bobby Portis. But we don't like Bryn Forbes. And we certainly don't like Torrey Craig. Continuing on down the line, what's up with DJ Augustine? He's having a good night tonight. He's hit a couple of threes, but he's averaging 5.9 in the season, and he's only shooting 37% from three. This guy was supposed to be easily a 40% three-point shooter, and he was supposed to be a backup point guard that could give us some contributing minutes behind Drew Holiday. And to my eyes, similar, similar to Bryn Forbes, he gives up a lot of size, and he gives up a lot on the defensive end. So we've got two guards coming off the bench that are giving up significant size in Bryn Forbes and DJ Augustine. And then you've got Pat Connaughton. We know what Planet Pat is. He's a fan favorite, but the bottom line is he's averaging 6.4 points a game, and that's, that's what he is. We know what Pat Connaughton is. And he's shooting 46% from three, which is pretty impressive. Excuse me, 43% from three. But... Pat Connaughton, if you're – we know Pat Connaughton. This is the same guy that got benched in the Miami series because he couldn't defend. Couldn't keep up with all the three-point shooters in Miami. And he failed to shoot in the playoffs. We know what Pat Connaughton is. We love Planet Pat. He brings energy to the game. He's crazy athletic. But Planet Pat, Bryn Forbes, and DJ Augustine, if that's your bench, you're not going anywhere. I'm sorry. Now – Bring up the point that Bud's got to play Giannis and the boys more minutes in the playoffs. We like that. That's the, that's the only bright side I can think of. The boys are going to get to play more minutes in the playoffs. I think they could make a signing or a trade at the deadline and bring a better bench player in 
But this current bench is not going to cut it if we're serious about winning an NBA championship. Sign somebody, or we need to make some moves at the deadline because these guys are not going to get it done. Third point, Brooke Lopez, for the most part, has sucked this season. Brooke Lopez has been terrible. And, you know, we want to dissect the Mike Boonholzer defense and talk about why are we committing five guys to protect the rim. And on paper, you think to yourself, Brooke Lopez is supposed to be the best rim defender in the NBA. That's an exaggeration. I'm trying to catch myself when I say these outlandish things. I'm trying to I'm trying to rein those in a little bit. But Brooke Lopez is an elite rim defender. That's what he hangs his hat on. And for whatever reason, he hasn't been doing a good enough job because the Bucks feel the need to pack the paint with 17 bodies every possession. If Brooke Lopez is the man, which he has not been this year, you shouldn't need to commit that many bodies to the paint. It's that simple. Brooke Lopez only shooting 35% from three. That was another thing he hangs his hat on. And he's only averaging 10.7 points a game. By the way, his rebounding numbers are down this year. He's averaging, Brooke Lopez is averaging five rebounds a game. How can you be 12 feet tall and average five rebounds a game? Bobby Portis is out rebounding Splash Mountain by two and a half rebounds a game. Big Bobby's averaging 7.5. Brooke Lopez only averaging five rebounds. That's blasphemy to me. I don't know if it's effort. I don't know if it's age. I don't know what it is. But Brooke Lopez is down this year and down significantly. And it's hurting the club. And you can see it. You watch any game. Brooke Lopez is not protecting the rim like he did last year. I don't want the shooting hasn't been great, but I don't want to talk about that because we're scoring enough points as a team. The shooting might come around, but you can't grab five boards a game at seven foot two and call that good enough. That's poor effort to me. The solution is easy in my opinion, and that's give more minutes to Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis is going to play bigger than you, score more than you, shoot better than shoot better than you from the three point arc. Play Bobby Portis. Pretty simple solution in my opinion. Somebody needs to light a fire under Brooke Lopez's ass or this team is going to struggle mightily. He's a key piece to this operation. And if he doesn't turn it around, the Bucks are in trouble. And the final point I want to make before we welcome our guests to the show is the motivation level of this team. At times, and sit down if you're standing because this might be hard to hear for some of you. But at times, this current Milwaukee Bucks team looks less than motivated out there on the floor. It shows up especially defensively. And I get it, they're trying to figure things out. But there looks to be a sense of complacency within this team. And I can't quite figure it out. You would think that being bounced in the Eastern Conference semis last season would motivate and light a fire under this team. And it hasn't to this point. It hasn't. We're not playing hard. We're not playing as hard as we played last year. For the most part last season, say what you want about the Milwaukee Bucks, but they played harder than their opponents on most nights. And since the bubble, I haven't seen that out of this Milwaukee Bucks team. I haven't seen the fiery leadership out of Giannis that we've seen out of Giannis and the other greats before him. If he wants to be great, he needs to take that leadership under his, under his wing. 
We saw it with MJ. We saw it with Kobe. We saw it with LeBron. These guys do not tolerate mediocrity. They don't tolerate it. They get on their teammates, and they do not tolerate losing to the Pelicans and the Hornets on back-to-back nights. It is not tolerated. So that is the next step for Giannis as a leader. I don't see him. He's a passionate player. But I don't think he's quite developed the leadership skills to completely take over this team just yet. And I believe in Giannis, and I think he's going to at some point. And I think it could click this season. But he needs to get a little bit of that Michael Jordan mentality and kick his teammates in the ass a little bit to get him going. Because this team is not currently motivated. And the bright side is this. We saw this a little bit with the Lakers last year. They were kind of coasting in the regular season. And in the back third, back quarter of the season, they started to take off. And once they hit the bubble, they really took off. So the, I think maybe the Milwaukee Bucks have learned that the regular season is largely meaningless. This regular season is pretty much meaningless. You have to get a pretty good seed. You have to get a top seed, and you have to give yourself home, home court for, for the majority of the playoffs. But going 60-12 and 12 doesn't cut it. That doesn't win you a championship. And the Bucs learned that lesson last season. And despite that, I think they've learned to coast a little bit. And that's the only thing I can think of. I think they're in coast mode. And I hope at some point the switch will click. We saw it with the Lakers last year. We've seen it with other teams. So keep your eyes peeled for that. I don't believe in coasting, but it seems to work in the NBA. It worked for the Lakers last season. But this current Milwaukee Bucks team is not as motivated as it was in past years. And you can debate me on that if you'd like, but that's just the way it is. Through 20 games, we're now 12-8, and eight, just beat Portland. They have lacked the motivation that it takes to win a championship. So that's the Bucs. That's the Milwaukee Bucks. Four things wrong with them. The three-point defense, the bench, Brooke Lopez, and their motivation levels. Uh, we're going to welcome two guests to the show for a very special segment. Here they are. Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we have two very special and electric guests joining us here on Cheese Curds and Beer Bellies for the first ever Mayor of Ding Dong City State of the Union debate. And the debate, first ever debate, is going to be between the Wolf of Wall Street and the man who is uncle to about 7,000 people. So we're going to call him Uncle Stevie, even if you're not his uncle or even if you're not his niece or nephew. You can refer to him as uncle because he wears that hat with many people. Fellas, welcome to the show. We're going to jump right into this. And we'll, so basically, here are the rules of the show. I'm going to read to you a series of questions related to the Bucks, Badgers, and Packers. Each of you will give your opinion and your argument. And as the host of the show, and as an unbiased third party, I will award points accordingly. So one of you will walk away the winner of the first ever Mayor of Ding Dong City State of the Union debate competition. I don't know. We're working on the name, folks, so bear with us. First question, we're going to start with the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, they just lost to the Pelicans, had a terrible road trip. They lost to the Pelicans, or as I like to call them, the Pelicans, and they lost to the Charlotte Hornets. So, boys, just how broken are the Milwaukee Bucks, and can they be fixed? I'm going to start with you, Wolf. The Bucks are really curious, right? So they, they've cleaned up on some pretty bad teams this year. They have a, the third or fourth highest point differential in the NBA right now, plus 7.1 points. Um, and they've got some good pieces in, play, uh, pieces in place, but 
you know, they've really struggled against competitive basketball teams. When you look at their losses, the Lakers, the Nets, the Celtics, the Jazz, their best win is maybe a, a Heat team that was without Jimmy Butler. Uh, they just haven't really lived up to playing those top tier teams. And, um, and you know, obviously they're on a, a couple – there are a couple losses in a row here to some rather poor competition. I, th I think that it's got to be some reflection of guard, right? Like we're playing the best teams that we'll be playing in the playoffs on a competitive level. And they're, they're shutting down Giannis. They're limiting our three point range. They're shooting the lights out against us. Um, teams are shooting about 5% better from three point line this season than they were last year. And our defense just can't seem to stop anyone. So the offense is still there. We're still able to put up production, but it's just not near at the same level. Um, and so my fear is that this is going to be a recurring issue and recurring theme. We've seen the past two playoff series. We're going to show up in round two and face stiff competition and run into a brick wall like we have every year before and guard won't adapt on offense. So, well, won't adapt the, question on defense. Is, the question is, are the Bucks broken and can they be fixed? Well, that's what I was getting at. So we're going to run the same issue we just ran into the past two years that we've run into this regular season against top-tier competition. So I think the uh, the answer has to be they're probably unfixable this year. I just don't know. Drew's a solid player, great defender. Uh, when we play the Nets, I mean, he's guarding KD. I don't know how many point guards are capable of doing that. Um, but, you know, it, it, there definitely is some sort of flaw that we can't seem to figure out, and I just don't know how it'd be, it's going to be fixed without some sort of dramatic overhaul. All right, Uncle Stevie, over to you. Well, I think Wolfie should take the L on this one for referring to the Bucks coach twice as guard. Uh, <laughs> that would be the Badgers coach. So I'm going to have to disagree with him there. Uh, I don't think the Bucks are broken. Uh, I'm not worried about the regular season. I think we saw and we've seen the last two years how much the regular season mattered um, in the opposite direction. I think we all overreacted to how good the Bucks looked in the regular season. Um, so I'm not going to swing in the other direction and now say we're terrible or we're not going to do anything in the playoffs because really for this team, the playoffs is is all that matters. Uh, I think probably most fans, most Bucks fans specifically, are are somewhat disinterested in the regular season this year because, like I've said, we, we've seen in the past two years what that meant. So this team is going to be solely judged on how we do in the playoffs. Do we get out of that second round? Do we get to the conference championship? Do we get to the NBA finals? So I'm not overreacting to anything that we've seen so far. I don't think the Bucks are broken. Uh, that, it takes some time. We got a new point guard. Uh, it always takes time to integrate someone new running the offense. So I think we're going to see better things in the playoffs this year. Two pretty solid arguments. If you would have asked me two days ago before potentially hammering the Bucks tonight on the minus nine and a half line, I probably would have agreed with the Wolf. Uh, but again, we don't endorse sports gambling on this show, uh, but the Bucks are currently waxing the Portland Trailblazers. They're up by 30 in the fourth quarter. So that is enough for me to believe that the Bucks are not quite broken. Again, if you would have asked me this after they got waxed by Charlotte, my answer might have been different. And if, uh, if the Wolf would have correctly referred to Coach Mike Budenholzer as Coach Mike Budenholzer, maybe it would have given him a point. But the point goes to Uncle Stevie. I don't think the Bucks are broken, and he makes a really good point about the regular season being essentially meaningless. And what we've seen in the NBA time and again is the fact that players can turn it on and turn it off seemingly whenever they want. It's like any given night, you don't know who was out at the strip club till 4 a.m. You don't know which players were out boozing till, you know, 5 in the morning. And it seems like these players, they're superior athletes. They can turn it on at a moment's notice. So I guess I'm going to give the point to Stevie. I think that there's a chance – that this Bucks team could have better things in the store come playoff time.
All right, so it's one nothing in favor of Uncle Stevie. He'll start round two. And the question is, what is the ceiling for this current Bucks roster? And I have current listed in bold letters uh, because assuming we don't make any dramatic moves at the trade deadline, this is your team. You have to go to war with the woman that you brought to the prom. I think I just mashed together two sayings there. So this is your prom date, Uncle Stevie. What is the current current ceiling for this team? So when you're defining ceiling, you're looking at the best possible scenario for a given team. And I think the best possible scenario for this team is a championship. Uh, do I think the Bucks will win the championship this year? I don't, um, but it's certainly within reason. And when you look up and down the standings, I think you can make an argument for probably eight teams that have a realistic shot. Uh, you could say nine if you want to include Miami, who's currently buried in the standings. But um, as we've seen last year, is capable of making a run. But I think you look at the top four teams in the East, Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Boston, I think all have a compelling case to make a run. And then this top four in the West, I think the Clippers, Jazz, Lakers, and Nuggets all are capable as well. Um, I would say there's probably a tier within that, maybe two or three teams that have the best shot, um, probably the Clippers, Lakers, and Nets, I would put at the top, but I would put the Bucks squarely in that second tier. Um, so <clears throat> as far as ceiling goes, this team certainly could win a championship. All right, Wolf. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think there's a, a world in which this team is championship caliber and can win the East um, and potentially knock off the Lakers or whatever team comes out of the West. Uh, I do think we kind of match up pretty well against the Nets, just given that we have the length to cover KD and we have the defenders to guard Harden, Kyrie, and KD, which I think is pretty rare for most teams in the NBA. Uh, unfortunately, you don't have Eric Bledsoe to guard James Harden like we've seen in past years. Uh, those are probably some of the more interesting tactics I've ever seen. Um, but, you know, I, I think for that reason, it's hard to say we can't win the East. Um, Again, the downside to this team, right, is that's happened past two years in the playoffs where we failed to adapt to teams that figure out how to solve Giannis uh, and transition and make us a, a half-court offense-based team. And we just don't seem to have the setup to be successful in the postseason. And so, you know, we're going to have to have adjustments that we just haven't done previously in this season in order to reach that top-tier ceiling. And against the Lakers – that's a whole nother story in terms of how we match up. Obviously our best bet would be if the Clippers or someone else is able to knock them off ahead of time. Um, but there definitely lives a world in which Drew Holiday absolutely balls out, plays electric defense. Chris Milton is knocked down from deep. Brooke Lopez is on his game and Giannis is unstoppable. And that's a team that could win a championship for sure. Uh, but they'll just have to make adjustments. We haven't seen them before. So it's, it's kind of hard to have that thing, have that be anything more than just the hope. Ooh, I think the go. I think the wolf might have secured a point there with his last statement. I, folks, I got news for you. It's a it's a shot in the dark to say that this Bucks team right now can win a championship. There are a number of pieces short. Uh, I don't think the team got any better. I think the depth is a lot worse than it was last year. I think it's significantly worse than it was last year. And and to Uncle Stevie's point, in the playoffs, maybe Giannis is going to play a forty minute game, which would be beautiful to see. Given the way things are going right now, I don't see a way in which this team can beat anybody out West. I don't, I don't see it happening. So I'm going to give a point to Wolf just because he uh, referred to it as a, as, a, as a hope and a dream that the Bucs could win a championship. Uh, all right, so 
A lot of talk about John Horst in this past offseason. Wolf, I know you've got some things to say about this. Can you please grade the Bucks' past offseason? Again, they, they acquired Drew Holiday. They signed some, I don't know, middle-tier free agents at best. Uh, what do you think of the moves that they have made so far? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you give up uh, three first rounds, two pick swaps, your starting point guard and your sixth man, um, you're expecting to bring in not just a difference maker, but a superstar. And um, I'm just not sure Drew Holiday on a one-year contract fulfills that. I know there was talk of signing an extension, and um, I believe he can't sign until February. That might need to get fact-checked on that one. Um, but, you know, if he doesn't stay long-term and we don't win a championship this year, I mean, that's that's an all-time bad trade in the sense that we've given up all of our future assets. We don't really have a lot of young, talented pieces. Um, I know Dante is, you know, had a solid year this year. Um, and we've been fortunate to have a couple second round picks historically pan out for us. Uh, and we're seeing that again with Nwora. Um, but I think it remains to be seen as to kind of what role he can truly develop. And so without those long-term pieces in play or those trade assets, it's going to be really hard to improve the roster going forward. Milwaukee's certainly not a free agent destination. And we're going to be we up need against a grade the cap. Last offseason, A to F, A plus to F. I think I got to go D um, it doesn't look like so we have not played better on paper than we have last year and we've traded away all of our future traded assets that could improve this roster. So it's uh, or almost all of them. So, you know, we're really all in here and it just, it's early returns. We drew still has a lot of time to adapt, but we're just not quite seeing what we were hoping to see. And again, it, it's all about the postseason, but. Uh, I feel like the micro, the regular season at times is a microcosm of the postseason, and we just haven't lived up against the top-tier competition yet. So the Wolf locks in at a D for John Horse this past offseason. What say you, Uncle Stevie? An unshockingly negative take by Wolfie over there. Uh, Wolfie forgot to mention one big thing. Uh, I don't know if this went overlooked uh, in his negative musings, but if I recall correctly, Giannis did sign a, a Supermax extension committing himself to Milwaukee for the foreseeable future. So this offseason is unquestionably an A+. You, that, that was the thing that had to be done. Uh, it was an F if Giannis doesn't sign it. It was an A+, if he did, and, and he signed it. And he's here in Milwaukee for the next five, six years. Um, and you could make some qualms about the holiday trade. Did we give up too much? Possibly. But if that's what it took to get Giannis to sign, then... I would, have been, I would have given up four more first-round picks because those first-round picks are, aren't going to be worth anything with Giannis on the roster because you're looking at a pick 26, 27, back end of the first round every single year. Um, so <clears throat> the thing that had to be done this offseason or the thing that would make this offseason a success was Giannis signing, and he did just that. So I don't see how this offseason could be looked at as a failure. Wow, Steve, I got chills down my spine when Uncle Stevie mentioned the fact that Giannis is going to be in a Bucks uniform for the next five years. And I think he makes a really good point. If he wanted to play with Drew Holiday, you give up the world for Drew Holiday. If he would have said, hey, I want to play with Tyron Lou, bring him out of coaching and let him be my point guard, you give up all your first round picks and you let Tyron Lou run the point. So completely agree with Uncle Stevie here. He's going to take the lead two to one. Whatever you can do to keep that man happy, and I know he wanted the big, the big European guy that ended up going to Atlanta, but in order to get a guy like Giannis to commit, you have to have a vision. So I would imagine that there is some type of vision beyond this season. You guys both talked about the possibility 
possibility of re-signing Drew Holiday, whatever that is, um, there's a vision that has obviously been discussed around a really round table, and Giannis liked what he heard enough to sign his name on that piece of paper. So two to one, Uncle Stevie takes the lead in the Travis Shaw, mayor of Ding Dong City, yada, 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 challenge. All right, our final Bucks question, and it's very, very simple, two words. Fire, bud, question mark. Do you want to fire head coach Mike Boonholzer? We will start with Uncle Stevie as he won the last round. It all matters what happens in the playoffs this year. Um, <clears throat> I think we were all pretty distraught the way last season ended, uh, the way he ran his playoff lineups. But again, everything, every decision that was made this offseason was made uh, to get Giannis to resign. So if Giannis wanted Bud back as a coach, then Bud should have been back as a coach. Um, but now that we have Giannis for the foreseeable future. Now I think Bud can be judged on his merits this postseason. We'll see if he's made the necessary adjustments. Um, as you mentioned earlier, Ghost, um, our lack of depth may force him into um, longer minutes for some of our stars. And, and I think that may be a blessing in disguise because I, I think those guys do need to play longer minutes in the playoffs. So um, right now, no. If we have another early playoff flame out, then absolutely. You make some good points there. I would like to interject that Giannis was at one point in time madly in love with Jason Kidd. So let's just keep that in mind. But he did sign the Supermax. At the end of the day, that was the goal of the offseason. Uh, Wolf, what, do you, what say you? Fire Bud, yes or no? Uh, same same with uh, the uncle. There's there's not you really have a any... hot take once, Duco. You have all these – you just spew bullshit out of your mouth all day in the group chat, and I finally get you on the podcast, and you will not say the words fire bud. You've said fire bud about 64 times in the last 24 hours, and I get you in front of an audience of 17,000 people, which is what our following is up to, and you won't drop your balls and say, this man needs to be fired. Give me something. I mean, he, he's got one more offseason to prove it, if, or postseason to prove it, and if – if the Bucs can't make it to the finals this year, I don't know how you can possibly say you should be back as a head coach. Um, unless we, someone gets hurt and for that reason, we can't win the conference finals. You know, it's truly finals or bust, I think. And, and it has to be in the front office's eyes with coach, Bud. Um, our, our schemes on both sides have just kind of failed to, to succeed in the postseason, And so if, you know, the adjustments aren't made in terms of understanding a better half court scheme. Hopefully we get a lot of pick and roll action with Drew and Giannis and our defense is probably got to change up a little bit in terms of limiting three pointers. If that just doesn't happen, it's pretty hard to argue that he deserves another chance when he's already had three prime opportunities. So um, it's hard to, it's hard to fire him mid season. I think you just got to see how it plays out. I can't possibly award a point here because both of this was a softball question. If any of you would have just been like, yes, fire the guy, it would have been an automatic 10 points. This is, this guy has refused to adapt with the times. The reason we hired Bud was that he coached under Greg Popovich. And this was like 20 years ago when the three point arc didn't exist, I think, because that was their defensive scheme. Let's pack the lane because we're going to run Tim Duncan out there. And that was the league back then. It was a big man's league. When Greg Popovich was running the NBA, it was a big man's league. And Popovich has, you can make the argument he's failed to adapt with the times. And Coach Boonholzer is stuck in the 1990s with his defensive schemes. Their, their idea that they can just give up 100 open threes a game and pray for the best is nonsense to me. How Three-pointers in the NBA today are like layups. They're like layups. These guys are so good. These are incredible sharpshooters, and the game continues to evolve. Since Steph Curry entered the league, 
the league has not been the same ever since. And Coach Bud has not adapted to that. And so he understands it offensively because the Bucks are jacking threes left and right. So how can he have such a great concept of how to score more points than the other team and yet continue to leave more wide-open three-point shooters than any other team in the league? It makes no sense to me. We have one of the best rim protectors in the league in Brook Lopez, one of the best in the entire league. That's, his, that's what he hangs his hat on. He protects the rim. He doesn't need five guys in there packing the lane to help him. So it's ridiculous to me. It's unacceptable, and he should be fired uh, as soon as possible. Uh, now, they won and covered tonight, so we, I don't want him fired just yet. But the next time they fail to cover that damn point spread, I want Mike Boonholzer fired. So no points awarded there. It's 2-1. to one. Uh, Uncle Stevie has the lead. We're going to move to the Wisconsin Badgers. We're going to talk Badger hoops. Uh, the, the Wolf himself had a take preseason, and he said that the Badgers would not finish inside the top 25. They were, have flirted with the top 10, top 10 line all season, so that take is pretty much dead. Uh, but how legit is this team, and how far can they go? I'll start with you, Uncle Stevie. I see Wisconsin as in that top 15 range. I think at least coming into the season, it's carried through quite a bit. I think we were artificially inflated based off of the finish to last season. Uh, we finished last season incredibly hot. Um, you could say that it, it was Potter-induced. Once Potter um, was able to suit up for the Badgers, things started trending upward. So I don't want to say that the end of last season was a complete fluke um, because <clears throat> I think there were reasons where um, that optimism was warranted. Um, but <clears throat> the, the weird thing with this team is you would think a, a veteran-laden team would be more consistent, um, but, but they're so hot and cold this year. And you saw how good we looked against Michigan State. That was probably one of the most fun Badger games I've watched in the past 10 years. We, it looked like we were, it was a Duke, North Carolina game. And then <clears throat> you see how we played against Penn State this past weekend, and we looked awful. So um, I think we're capable of beating good teams, not great teams. I, I don't see us with an upset of Gonzaga or Baylor in the cards. I think those two teams have clearly separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Um, but I think as far as any other teams go, I think we're capable of beating any of them. Um, as far as where I see this team going, I think we get to the Sweet 16, um, maybe to the Elite Eight, um, and hopefully some of that veteran presence since our average age is about 29 in our starting lineup. Uh, I think that could pay some dividends in March or April or whatever month <laughs> this year's tournament is in. Um, but I don't see championship potential with this team. Okay. Fair point. That's a risky, risky take. Uh, if you listen to the last episode where I hopped on here and said the Badgers, we're going to win the national championship, but I respect the points. Wolf, your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, if you look at the Badgers who they've played this season, it's similar to the Bucks. We have not shown up and played well against the best teams. I mean, I don't, I don't know who would qualify as our best win this year. Is it, is it Indiana who we took, double overtime to topple. I mean, every, you know, not looking at what they were ranked at the time we played them, but looking where they stand today, you know, we haven't beaten a ranked team this year yet. Um, that's still ranked. And it's, it just seems like a team that is, as uncle, uh, the uncle pointed out, it's an inconsistent team despite being full of veterans. Um, arguably the best player doesn't even see eye to eye at this coach and it can get visibly upset mid game, which is, 
not the most common thing you'll see in modern college basketball with a lot of coaches being so player oriented and everything being broadcast, you know, for the whole world to see it's, it's kind of rare to see that sort of relationship between arguably the best player and the coach. Um, and so, you know, I know the, you're quite optimistic on the outlook of the Badgers this year, but um, I just, it feels as though it's a team that just doesn't step up against the top opponents. And uh, I, I just don't see how they overcome that issue. Now they're going to be really tested down the stretch, right? They've missed, they have Iowa twice to go. They still have Michigan. They still have Illinois twice. And, you know, there's a chance that they have six more losses on the schedule, five more losses on the schedule, or there's a chance they turn around and prove everyone or they kind of prove that the, so far this year is not quite true and that they can play that top tier level and play those top tier teams. And we're going to find out. Um, and so we'll just have to see how it goes, but you know, this is a team that feels like a potential sweet 16 around sweet 16 team based on how the, uh, the bracket ends up playing out, which obviously you can say about any team. Um, but you know, it's hard to see them really going past that this year. Okay, some decent points. Uh, I, I don't know. Uncle Steve, you mentioned the possibility of the possibility of the Elite Eight, and uh, because I have them winning the championship, you can't win the championship without making the Elite Eight. So we're going to give the point to him. You know, Wolf, you really got to step it up here. Your, your half-hearted kind of towing the line politician takes are not politically correct. Takes are not sitting well with the host of this show. Uh, so it's three to one, Uncle Stevie. They will win the championship, and they, like he mentioned, they're old. Their average age, I think, is, like Uncle Stevie said, 29, and, and nobody fact-checked that. It is 29, and they're going to win the championship. Uh, do you believe in Greg Gard? Simple question. The guy, in my opinion, a terrible recruiter, but a pretty damn good X's and O's coach. Wolf, this should be a softball question for you. We'll start with you. Do you believe in Greg Gard? I don't believe in Greg Gard. I think, you know, We've seen him struggle recruiting a lot of phenomenal in-state talent. We currently have two of the youngest stars in the NBA and Tyrese Halliburton and Tyler Hero, and neither wanted to come play under him. And uh, it's, it's pretty rare that you see a top Wisconsin recruit not be that is able to attend, not choose to come here. Um, and so that's, that's tough to see. And then, you know, we haven't quite seen him put together a solid March madness run yet. Um, and, Obviously, there was the tough loss to Florida a few years ago on that miraculous buzzer beater. Um, but until he kind of puts that together, it's kind of hard to trust that he's capable of doing it. And as we continue to lose top tier talent and not bring it in, it's, it's hard to see how we're going to be able to overcome that from a talent or coaching perspective. It still feels like out of timeouts, you know, we're out coached, which is, is kind of miraculous. I mean, I'd love to see statistics on how many points we average coming out of a time offensive timeout versus the average in the Big Ten. Um, and get a breakdown of how successful we truly are. So uh, long story short, you know, I, I'm not a believer in Greg Gard now, similar to Bud, you know, there's a chance he can prove me wrong this postseason, this, this March Madness tournament here. Um, but, you know, if it doesn't happen, it's, it's got to be a question of, okay, he's got all this, he's got a super veteran team. He's got a lot of momentum coming into the tournament. How many more excuses are we going to give? Okay, uncle. So I think we're very often prisoners of the moment. Um, and I think in this case, uh, we're suffering from a lot of recency bias with those late Bo Ryan teams, the Kaminsky Decker teams that went back to back final fours could have and probably should have won a national championship. But if we look at Bo Ryan's early years as a Wisconsin coach, this is about what we were. 
um, <clears throat> and play good defense. We, we don't get those one and done guys. It, it really is what Wisconsin has built the, its foundation on. Um, so um, I've, I've gone hot and cold on guard uh, in the past couple of years. Last season, I, I was all aboard the fire guard train. I think he bought himself a couple of years with uh, the way the team finished the year last year and winning the simulated national championship. That's, that's a banner that not a lot of other schools can hang. Um, and we mentioned that he's not a great recruiter. I think this year and next year, some of it, the biggest classes that we've had uh, in Wisconsin basketball. And we're not getting those, those top guys, the Jalen Johnsons, the, her the heroes, but um, I don't think Wisconsin basketball has ever been built on that. And I think it's why it's led to some of the success that we've had is because we have those guys that stay two, three, four years um, and develop along the, uh, the time of their careers or don't develop in the case of Reavers. But uh, I think we need to be careful that we don't slip into that like Iowa type territory. I, I still think, uh, obviously not this season, but I, I think on a, a national level, we're, we're one step above those types of schools and we, we don't want to slip into that. So I don't think we can um, get complacent, but I do think guard um, has another year or two or three to prove himself. Um, but yes, obviously we'd like to see more postseason success. I, I think a, a sweet 16 or an elite eight um, will definitely give more confidence for the future. Some really good points all around. I'm gonna give the point to Stevie this time just cause I'm really pissed off at the wolf. Uh, I believe it's five to one, but I do like that he mentioned the kind of the Iowa territory. I mean, you think about Fran McCaffrey and that program, they've been the exact same pretty much every single year. And they, this is about the first year they've seen to finally get over the hump. But you mentioned complacency, and that's something that can be easy to fall into. And especially, you know, you look at the Badger football, Badger athletics in general seem to ride this line of, you know, very above average play. And they never seem to take that next step. And I think that's a really good point that you make about how are we going to get to that level. And the only way is going to be through recruiting some of these guys to keep them in state. Uh, I need a really short answer. You have. 20 seconds each. Favorite player on the current Badger basketball team? Uncle Stevie, start with you. Go. I'm going to go with Jonathan Davis. Uh, that spark he brings off the bench, I think he has the most future potential of anyone on the squad. And it's just one of those guys where I get excited to see him in the game um, and see what he's going to bring. He's a little bit out of control. Um, he's young, but I think he's going to develop into um, one of the best players that we've had in, in the past four or five years. I like it. Big time freshman. Hopefully pans out for us. Wolf. Uh, it's pretty hard to pick against Micah Potter, who shows just in the court how we're feeling watching him on TV. <laughs> Finally, I can give a point to the Wolf there for giving us an unfiltered answer. Uh, yeah, Micah Potter plays with a little bit of an edge, and sometimes Greg Gard benches him for that, and sometimes he sits his best big man out for like 12 straight minutes, and the game evaporates from him. But we do like Micah Potter because he speaks his mind. Uh, so finally, it's five to two. Uh, Wolf, you're back in the game there. You're gonna need to, you're gonna need a clean sweep to take this first ever Mayor of Ding Dong City challenge. Uh, we have a few more questions left. Let's go over to the Packers. Has your trust in Matt Lafleur, or as the Wolf likes to call him, the Laflop, diminished? Has your trust in Matt Lafleur diminished in any way, given some of the decisions that he made in the NFC Championship game? Uh, we'll start with Uncle Stevie here. I think it's easy to, to point fingers in, especially at the decision to <clears throat> kick the field goal. Um, 
my initial gut reaction watching the game was I was furious with that call. But taking a step back and looking at it from more of an unbiased perspective, um, I think he – so the best-case scenario if he goes for the touchdown is we score, we get the two-point conversion, it's a tie game. At that point, Tampa has around two minutes – they have the entire playbook open and we're relying on our defense to not give up 40 yards versus if we kick the field goal, we're counting on our defense to not give up 10 yards, but with a much more limited playbook. So essentially you assume they're going to run on first and second down, which they did. So you're, you're putting it all on one play, stopping them on a third and long. Um, <clears throat> I think looking back on it, I, I would roll with our defense who, is mediocre at best. I'd rather have them for one play with a limited playbook than um, knowing that Brady can drive down the field and um, kick the field goal and not force overtime and end the game. Um, I think another thing that we need to understand is there are growing pains for a young coach. LaFleur, I think, just turned 15 years old. Um, and it, you look at other young coaches as they've come up through the ranks. You look at Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta. I mean, he was um, the authors of one of the most epic collapses in sports history um, when they lost that Super Bowl after being up 28-3. And he's rebounded very nicely in San Francisco, made it to a Super Bowl, um, was in that game till the end. So I don't think we can write off a young coach um, for an early season blunder if you do in fact believe it was a blunder. I mean, <clears throat> we've this was the first year uh, in recent history where I can remember going into a Packer game and not instantly feeling that we were going to be outcoached. I mean, we saw how open our receivers were on any given pass play. I think back to McCarthy's last year. I don't think even Devontae ever had three inches of separation. Every pass was a back shoulder where every single guy was blanketed. And now we have high school varsity receivers up there with seven yards of separation. So we certainly can't write off LaFleur after one tough game. He's going to learn from it. He's going to grow from it. And we're going to be back. All right. Good takes. Uh, Wolf, you had some very strong words about LaFlop. You've had strong words about him since, since the hire. So what do you have to say now after the NFC championship game collapse? I think the worst take since you said Aaron Rodgers' career was done was just said right there by the uncle that this is a defensible, defensible decision to kick a field goal here. There is absolutely no way I'm, I'm preferring to have our run defense, which, you know, I don't think anyone would have any sort of confidence in, in a must win situation, trying to get a stop against the Tampa Bay offense uh, versus putting the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hand and saying, make something happen. And, you know, I, I, I think, given the circumstances, it has to be the worst play call I've ever seen. Um, I, I just, there has to be an all time bad coaching decision. You have the MVP of the league, the best player in the NFL, arguably this season, him or Mahomes, and you have one chance to get in the end zone. Um, you know, you're scoring, you have to score a touchdown either way. And best case scenario is you force a stop and then have to take the ball 75, 80 yards and score a touchdown um, which you're only eight yards away from at this point. And I know Devante dropped one earlier, but you have arguably the best connection in the league on your side against the secondary that's so-so at best. It wasn't the Tampa Bay secondary that shot us down. It was the Tampa Bay pass rush. And 
you know, when Rogers was able to get out of the pocket and make plays with his feet, that was when we were able to exploit that Tampa defense. And so I'm really surprised that the, the reaction can be the field goal makes any sense at all. Um, I understand that you play to win, uh, but in order to play to win, you have to be in the realm of chance of winning. And, you know, I know that we had an unfortunate pass interference call to end the game, but you can argue at that point, we'd kind of already given up. And so uh, I just think that defending that is kind of inexcusable at this point. In hindsight, I think it only looks worse. Um, but, you know, in terms of how I lost faith in the flop, I mean, it's, it's hard. His offense figured out this year, right? We're the highest scoring team in the league. We have the MVP at quarterback. Um, it was his best season in essentially seven or eight years. Um, and so from an offensive play calling perspective, you know, for the most part, he did a really good job and that was encouraging. Um, but, uh, you know, clearly the team, in my opinion, we were a better team than Tampa Bay. Um, and so it's, it's unfortunate to come away with a loss feeling that the coaching staff is what limited us on both sides of the ball. Um, there was three straight three and outs in the second half by our offense, which just cannot happen when you have the best player in the league. Um, you know, you're in a must win situation where you need to run out the clock and you're going to have three consecutive or where you need to make up ground. You're trailing, you make three consecutive three and outs and your defense bails you out three times in a row and you still can't put points on the board. So it's not like this is just a point the finger situation at our now a former defensive coordinator. This is, this falls on the offense just as much. And so, um, you know, I think he's going to have to learn from it and grow, and he's going to have a number of years to prove that he can be a Super Bowl coach because he's going to have Rodgers for a number of years. And so um, I haven't lost faith in the, in the flop, but I, I do feel really gutted after how this season ended. It took me a, a little bit of lubing up, but I finally got the wolf going. Uh, I'm going to give you the point there. I do, you know, an interesting point by Uncle Stevie. He makes the point that the Packers needed to get a stop and Tom Brady had a lot of time left on the clock in the best case scenario. I, I do appreciate that point. I do appreciate it from the sense of, you know, we've pretty much beaten Matt LaFlop to death uh, since that decision. So I do appreciate the diverse viewpoints, but I have to side with the Wolf here. Uh, you, you can't take the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands, and my faith has diminished slightly. But he's a young coach, and I do believe that he's going to figure it out. But the point nonetheless goes to goes to uh, the the Wolf. So uh, score is five to three. We have three questions remaining. So Wolf going for a clean sweep. He was down five to one and he's cut the lead to, to just two. How pissed are you about the 2020 draft from the Green Bay Packers? So obviously we drafted Jordan Love and AJ Dillon with our first two picks. Degura didn't see the field. Uh, talk to me, guys. We'll start with we'll start with the Wolf. How do you feel about how pissed are you about the 2020 draft? Yeah, so, you know, if you want to look at the NFC Championship game where we came up just short to Tom Brady, we uh, we had one player from this draft make any sort of contribution. We, we actually had only one player suit up and play in the game from this draft class, which is pretty remarkable when you think of a team that was able to have, you know, eight total draft picks or nine total draft picks and only have one of them actually step on the field and him essentially being the third string running back. Um, I think it's really hard to argue that you know, this was a successful draft class. And unless Jordan Love pans out to be a Hall of Famer, we've talked about this before that in the NFL, you really only have very few opportunities to win a Super Bowl. I mean, we've had Aaron Rodgers for, we've had between Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre, we've had over 30 seasons of elite quarterback play. 
And yet here we are uh, on the precipice of having only been in three Super Bowls with them. Rogers at the end of his career. And there's truly been what, six, seven years where you thought to yourself, this is a true Super Bowl contending team. And we had the two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. So unless you're New England Patriots with Tom Brady, the opportunity to be in the Super Bowl is, is very hard to come by. And for us to be one game away last year and choose to draft, not for this season and not even for next season, but for farther down the road, is uh, it has to be a complete failure. And so, you know, again, unless Jordan Love becomes a Hall of Famer, it's incredibly hard to look at this draft as anything other than a flop. Um, and that's just really unfortunate given how close we came from playing in the big game. And so, you know, every player mattered and it, it could have so been really pissed. nice to have. Bottom line yeah. is you're pissed. I'm pissed. <laughs> okay, uncle, over to you. Uh, I'm also fairly pissed about the draft. Uh, it's not the love pick that bothered me. Um, and I, I think where the front office failed is I think they thought we were further from contending than we were. Um, I don't think the front office expected to see the second year leap just based off of scheme um, that happened. And I think kind of as a fan, we all look at last year's, or I guess two years ago now, 13 and three season. Uh, and we didn't feel 13 and three. Uh, we, we played the 49ers, but we weren't in the same stratosphere as the 49ers as far as talent goes. So I think the front office looked at that and, and somewhat conceded, all right, we're, we're further away from that upper echelon um, than we'd like to be, and they drafted for the future, um, not assuming that we would make this a gigantic leap based off of scheme alone. Um, I'm okay with the love pick. I, I think anytime, if there's a quarterback you believe in, um, go and get them. Uh, we saw what happened with the Favre to Rodgers transition, and if there's any way to ease that transition beyond Rodgers and, and you see a guy you like, you got to do it. Um, the Dylan pick I didn't like, and DeGuara in the third round is probably my least favorite pick of the draft. I mean, that, that guy was probably sitting there in the sixth, seventh, or undrafted, uh, and we drafted him in the third round like um, like he was a top tight end. Uh, I know he got injured, but I still don't, didn't think the value was there. I mean, looking, depending on what happens with love, I mean, potentially the only value we got out of this draft was Runyon, who I think will be a good player, maybe Kamal Martin, the jury's still out on him. And I do think Dylan will be a good player, but I, I think we still overdrafted him. Um, so I would say I'm fairly pissed about this draft, but it wasn't the love pick that, that got to me. Okay. So you're both equally pissed. I can't see a way to, if I award a point here, uh, it could be over. So I'm not, I'm going to choose not to avoid, we want to build the drama here for the listeners. They're listening to the very last question. So uncle Stevie, you just pr put a very compelling argument together, but I cannot give you a point because you're equally pissed. Um, but I'm equally pissed as well, man. It sucks that, that to uncle Stevie's point, the front office clearly didn't believe that we were as close as, as everybody else thought. And that's disappointing because we're a few glaring holes away from winning a Super Bowl. And you just wonder, it's tough to recreate the magic that we had this year. That doesn't just happen. You can't just bring the nucleus back and assume that we'll be in the same spot next year. And, and to, to another point, the rest of the league is going to get better. This felt like a year where especially the NFC was very winnable. And, and you have to capitalize in those, in those opportunities, and, and we failed to do so. So I'm not awarding a point. The score remains five to three with two questions to go. Prediction for Jordan Love's career. Uh, we'll start with Uncle Stevie. First of all, is it with the Green Bay Packers or is it somewhere else? Because there are rumors flying that he could be traded. 
I think it'll be with the Green Bay Packers. Um, and kind of an experiment, I, I've always wondered, or a million dollar question, if we could rewrite history, I would love to see what happened with Rogers' career if he played on day one. Let's say he was drafted in San Francisco. Um, I think a hugely undervalued part of quarterback progression is sitting and learning. Um, <clears throat> you look at guys like Tannehill who struggled out of the gate. Um, they finally got a chance to take a step back, watch the game, learn the game a bit. And now you see the success he's having in Tennessee. So um, I think it'll be really interesting to see how um, love progresses, even if he's not there on talent alone at this point, um, just being able to sit behind one of the all-time greats, learn how he reads a game, learn how he manages a game. Um, and I think that's going to be extremely beneficial to his future. So I see Pro Bowls in his future um, based off of that alone, um, just that, that understudy value. I, I think that's um, greatly undervalued in this um, need to have success society that we live in instantly where you draft a guy and you want to see him in your lineup the, the second you drafted him um, to justify that pick. So um, I see Pro Bowls and let's say I see a Super Bowl in his future. It, just following the trend of, of where our past quarterbacks looks like each quarterback gets about one Super Bowl in their career. So I think Jordan Love is going to match that. Take it. We'll take one Super Bowl out of Jordan Love. All right, Wolf, what do you think? You were very critical of the pick and you were very critical on the limited film that you've seen of Jordan Love. So give it to me. What, uh, what predict Jordan Love's career for me? Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe a better question is predict Tim Boyle's career for you because that's the guy who looks like the heir apparent in this offense. I mean, he's the only backup quarterback that's dressing late in the year. It's, you know, I, I, I'm totally behind the idea of nurturing and developing a quarterback because I do think it's a critical part. And he's coming from, you know, a smaller conference where he's playing against lesser opponents and the offense is going to be brand new to him. So I totally understand that. But, you know, the reports coming out of camp where he looked nothing like he, he should have. There just wasn't the zip on the ball. He wasn't making any impressive throws. His, his big successes was supposed to be the fact that he was to this big arm and he could make any play with his legs and his feet and that he was some incredibly athletic quarterback. And then ports out of camp were essentially that none of that existed. And, you know, there's the compilation of him throwing all of those interceptions. I believe the number was 21 interceptions um, in his senior year or in his final year. And you watch those. And so many of them are just poor decision-making and inaccurate throws. And it's just, that's not something you see out of a first-round quarterback usually, um, hardly ever, in fact. And, you know, it didn't reminisce of Patrick Mahomes when he was making poor decisions or making elite throws that didn't work out. I mean, they're, they're simple decisions and out routes that don't make sense. This isn't forcing it deep down the field into double coverage, which is fixable. This is unable to read what the flat defender is doing. This is unable to read what the Mike linebacker is doing sitting in his simple zone drop. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, he's, it's going to be tougher. And if he wins a Super Bowl, it's going to be behind number 12. It's not going to be him leading the charge. And, you know, I'm hopeful that he surprises us all in this time behind Rodgers does a lot for him. But the difference is Rodgers came into the league and arm talent, there was no question it existed. And there's no question he was one of the smartest guys in the locker room the second he walked in there. And, the reports on that just don't seem to be there for love. And so you know, I have a hard time believing that he's going to live up to anything where we drafted him, giving what we gave up. So they got him. So it's, uh, you know, okay. career prediction is he'll be a starter, but you know, not, not anything that's going to be a Super Bowl worthy quarterback one day. And there have been some bad quarterbacks in the Pro Bowl. So he might sneak his way in there one year, but 
that's uh that's more of an indictment of how few quarterbacks want to go play in that game. Quick point, if I can make one, Ghost. Uh, I think you can look at someone like Josh Allen to see what quarterback progression truly can look like. I mean, I was looking at Josh Allen's high school stats. There was a year he threw 49% in high school. His community college, there was a year where I believe he was under 51%. And, and you look at him even as a rookie, and the guy could be open by 20 yards, and you'd miss him by another 20 yards. Uh, so I, I think it's too early to write a guy off for how he looked in his first camp, his inaccuracy numbers, um, and just look to someone like Josh Allen to see how, how you can progress over your career. Quick point as well, though, Josh Allen is undoubtedly one of the most physical specimens in the league. I mean, he was throwing 90-yard footballs. He's a great runner of the ball. He's, you know, 6'6", nimble, um, and he can fit the ball into any window. And, well, Jordan you know, loves six. Jordan Love showed some nimbility at Utah State. I don't know if that's a word or not, but he was tearing up the Mountain West Conference at one point. So don't write that off. Uh, I'm going to give the point here to, to Uncle Stevie. So that officially eliminates the wolf from contention. But I do have to say, uh, you referred to all the video clips coming out of camp. Packers beat writers, I'm convinced, they make their living off of kind of just trashing everything that the Packers do. Like Domovsky would no longer be relevant to anybody if he didn't like write an article every year about how Aaron Rodgers was going to leave, was going to leave the Packers. So those guys, part of their, in their job description, it says, come up with the worst video clips you can of Green Bay Packers and tweet them out in training camp. So I think it was a perfect storm for the media to just run with this national storyline of Jordan Love is going to suck. What a terrible pick that was. And I think the Packers beat writers, I think they're all sellouts, just like the Bucks guy that wrote off Giannis. And I think those guys, uh, I think they're running with that narrative a little bit more than, than we can give it credit for. So, uh, Uncle Stevie, before we get to our final question, congratulations. You are the first ever victor of the, let me get this right. It is the Mayor of Ding Dong City debate challenge champion. How does that sound? Is that a coherent sentence? It's, it's a lot of words right there, but I will say it's an honor. And I look forward to defending my title, uh, whatever that title is ultimately named. Um, big shout out to Travis Shaw, um, one of my least favorite brewers in the past five years. So it's a cool nickname, though. Yeah, great nickname. It was an honor to win the title in spite of him. All right. I love it. Uh, so I guess closing thoughts here, guys. I'm going to ask you guys to do this for me and real quickly because we're running out of time. Rank the order of the next Wisconsin sports championship. So we got five clubs that we're looking at. We're looking at the Bucks, Packers, Brewers, Badger Hoops, Badger Football. So those five, uh, which ones will we see win a title in our lifetime, first of all? And then rank in order of probability those five teams winning a title. We'll start with, uh, we'll start with the Wolf. Give us, giving you a chance to redeem yourself, Wolf. Lick those wounds and give me a good answer. Yeah, I think the team that's got the best shot to win a tail next still is probably the Green Bay Packers. When you have number 12 back there, it's just it's uh it's hard to bet against him. And I, I really thought that this year too, it was just hard to bet against him. And I can only imagine next year he's gonna come out even more pissed and more willing with a chip on his shoulder. Um, this was definitely a humble slice of pie for him. I think this was the moment that he thought he would be able to overcome Brady and get that Super Bowl ring. And so I'm uh, I gotta go with him next. And then if you want to rank in terms of uh, just clarification point here. You want to rank in terms of um, which teams are most likely to win this uh, the championship Correct. next? Correct. Yeah, so I, th I think, you know, it's got to start there with uh, Aaron Rodgers and then 
next, the Bucks. I mean, they still have a top five player, top three player in the NBA um, in Giannis. And so anytime you have the best player on the court, that gives you a chance. And given LeBron's age very quickly, Giannis should be considered number one or number two in the league. So um, anytime, like I said, you know, when you have that in place, it's uh, it's a good feeling. Number three, we're enrolled Badger football. I still trust that uh, at some point there's going to be a breakthrough. Um, it seems like we've had a lot of momentum with recruiting. We're bringing a lot more talent and you just got to get those big boys moving up front. I feel like the old line this year wasn't where it was historically. And so just get those boys rolling again. And we're a tough team to beat that Michigan win was still one of the most hyped Badger football games I've watched in a while. Uh, number four, uh, we're going to go with the Brewers. Uh, still have, an elite player in Christian Yelich have a lot of nice young pieces. Whoa, you, called him, you called that one of the worst contracts of all time. This is true. Yeah, I mean, awful, awful, awful decision to hire or to sign that extension so far in advance. It just made absolutely no sense from a leverage standpoint. That's, That's a whole other discussion. To that debate. We can talk about that one another one. But um, no, I think the point stands that, you know, there's some really young pieces in play. Baseball is just tough. I mean, it's really hard. We're not a big budget team to be competing year in and year out and a lot of chips have to fall the right way for you to be able to do so and so we'll just have to see how some of these young guys develop and what happens with hater potentially getting you, nice right you, you clearly have badger hoops as number five and clearly you have not listened to previous episodes and you haven't been listening to this episode where i told you the badgers <laughs> are going to win the national championship this season so for your failure to pay attention to the ghost of tony plush I'm muting you for the rest of the episode. Thanks for hopping on, but that terrible rankings right there. Uncle Steve, you give me something and it better start with Badger hoops at the top. Uh, it does not. But what I will say is that I do think we're going to see all five championships in our lifetime. So a little bit hope there. Um, we're we're going to see all those. Um, I, I have to put the bucks at the top. Um, to Wolfie's point, at some point, LeBron is going to get old. I don't know when that's going to happen. But I think that's the Bucks window. I don't think we win the title this year, but I think two or three years down the road, that's when the the Bucks bring the the hardware back to Milwaukee. Uh, the Packers at second, um, just because, um, like you both said, when 12 is back there, there's always a chance. Um, plus, uh, from my earlier point, Jordan Love is guaranteed to get one Super Bowl in his career. So Love it. there's that. Um, I have Badger Hoops at third. Um, I think we'll with this year not counting, we'll be returning um, most of our entire lineup next year, um, pushing our average age to 30, uh, which will be interesting to see how that plays out. But anytime you have um, that much depth uh, and that much of a veteran presence, you always have a chance. And I think it's, um, it's always easier to make a fluke run in basketball. It's probably the hardest championship to win, um, but it's the the one where there's the the cleanest path for a team that may not be the most talented um, on the court or field. Um, I have the Brewers at fourth. Um, I'm not super optimistic going into the season, but if um, Woodruff and Burns can build off of last year, um, anytime you have a, a one-two punch like that, um, you're going to be in any series. The tough part will be getting to the playoffs, um, but if we can get to the playoffs, those two make any series a, a tough out or make the Brewers a tough out in any series. Um, and I have Badger football at last. Uh, it's not because I, I don't think we're um, making waves in recruiting. I just see the, the way college football is structured. It's such a talent pool at the top. Uh, it, it's hard to 
get to where Clemson and Alabama is. You, you just aren't seeing other teams with a realistic shot in any given year. It's Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, and maybe in a, in a down year for those teams, Georgia or Florida has a chance. But uh, I just haven't seen enough from this team to think that we can make the leap to that level. All right, I respect both of those rankings. Uh, I'm going to give it to you just because we're running out of time here. Here's the correct order of championships. It's going to start with Badger Hoops, and it's going to happen in the next two months. And then I'm a percentages guy. I love mathematics, and the Milwaukee Brewers, as we know them, have not ever won a World Series. The Braves obviously did in 57, but just playing the percentages here, we're due. And this podcast was initially built off the Milwaukee Brewers they're my number two team. I don't think they're very good as of right now, but I think I, I like to play the percentages. I think they're going to get lucky here at some point. Number three, uh, I'm going to have to go with the Packers, and I think it happens with Jordan Love. I don't know. I think Rodgers is going to drink a lot of beer this offseason. A lot of video floating around of him drinking beer in the back of a truck. A little concerning. Uh, number four, I'll go with the Bucks, but that's pending the fact that they fire Mike Boonholzer. And then number five, Badger football. I mean, as long as Nick Saban has a pulse, there's no chance of that happening. Uh, so those are the correct rankings. Badger Hoops, Milwaukee Brewers, Green Bay Packers, Milwaukee Bucks, and Badger Football. Fellas, thank you so much for joining us here today. Uh, congratulations to Uncle Stevie for winning the first ever Mayor of Ding Dong City Debate Challenge. All right, folks, that's the end of Episode 5. Thank you very much for joining us. We've talked about the Milwaukee Bucks. All hope is not lost. Thank you to Uncle Stevie. Thank you to the Wolf of Wall Street. Thank you to both guests. It was an electric show, and we're happy you guys joined us. We'll be back Friday morning with episode six. Thanks again. Be sure to like, subscribe, share with your friends, post it on your Twizzler machines. Do whatever you need to do to get the word out. Uh, we appreciate the Cheese Curds and Beer Bellies Nation, and we're here for one thing and one thing only, and that's championships in the state of Wisconsin. Take care, kids. <laughs>